Paris Tribe back again with you along with Bias on another episode. That'll be episode 27 of the Sports Bag Bros podcast. We're here to bring the conversation of sports to you as we've been doing in the 26 previous episodes. Today is Monday, and of course, on Monday, we have a lot to talk about because we're done on Thursday. So Friday, there isn't anything going on, at least not with us. But with the rest of the sporting world, everything continues to go. And as you already know, we've been waiting for this time of year. Basketball has been carrying us all this time, but now the NFL is starting to rear its head, and it's time to get into some NFL talk in addition to other things that have been going on in the sports world. But as you already know, if you watch this, this thumbnail, if you've seen this thumbnail, it's about the NFL today. And finally, someone, one of the big names, decided they wanted to sign a contract and decide they wanted to be a football player this year. That's DeAndre Hopkins. But who did he decide to play for this time? Bias, let him know. Well, I don't know if he decided how many, how many offers did he have? How many teams had cap space to offer him a contract? He probably went with the best available. Can't be mad at him for that. But what are his chances of winning the Super Bowl with a quarterback who only had 13 touchdown passes last year? And uh, combined uh, 75 receptions from their top two returning receivers. Uh, obviously, he's a special talent. He's going to help them, but enough to take them to the promised land? Probably not. Uh, you know, of course, I don't think going to the promised land is a big deal when you're talking about the Tennessee Titans, but they are in the AFC South, even though the Jaguars are looked at presently as the team to beat, surprisingly, in a lot of people's ideas. But if you look at their team and see how they've built it, how they constructed that team, and what Doug Peterson has brought to the table in this last season, the Jaguars may be ruling the roost in the AFC South this season and even in future seasons. But if he's going to go somewhere and have a legitimate chance to do something, if there's going to be some type of upsetting, why not Tennessee? You know what I mean? They've always been there, you know, for the past several years. They've at least been in the thick of it. You know, Mike, Mike Vrabel, their coach, is that kind of coach that can kind of hold the fort down. They still have quality players. Let's not forget Derrick Henry even though they're kind of trying to sort of usher him out of the door because running backs don't have the value they used to have. I would rather have Tennessee right now if I'm him than going to the AFC East, which may be the most competitive division in all of football this year, especially if you were to go to the New England Patriots, even with Bill Belichick, definitely not a Tom Brady. Matt Jones going into his third season and having a rough time of it, even trying to pull up the rear. Yeah, one good thing um, for this signing, or at least for the Titans' office, offense, Tannehill completed 65% of his passes last year. Mm -hmm. uh, he was almost a, he almost had a 95 uh, QBR. So, he, you know, he's a decent quarterback. Give him a, a better uh, receiver, he probably improves. So it's not like Tannehill is a pedestrian. You know, there's some yeah. talent there. He can make throws. And... Uh, Hopkins will obviously help that offense. Now, for Hopkins not going to to Belichick and the Patriots, well, you know, maybe that's just a culture D. Hopkins didn't want to deal with, or maybe he didn't want to deal with a young quarterback. Maybe the contract wasn't what Tennessee offered, but obviously he liked Tennessee better, so that's where he signed. Mm -hmm. Now, I can't even look at this as one of those he wants to win a championship kind of plays. Well, he's not really chasing. 
no, he's not going to win a championship. But if there was an option between those two being the only two teams to offer, you're taking the better team. And right now, it looks like on the surface, Tennessee is the better team. You know, Bill Belichick, does he create that or does he still have that culture he once had? Or was it really a Tom Brady culture? If you came there, you fell in line. Yeah, with Bill Belichick's rules, but you had almost the promise of the playoffs and an opportunity at the Super Bowl and a winning Super Bowl if you were part of Tom Brady's offense or team, period. We've seen the types of players that have come through New England in the past, players who had issues allegedly off the field, probably a Randy Moss, who was one of these so-called cancerous players. He comes in and falls in line. The first of those players was Corey Dillon. No one got along with him. He comes to New England, quiet, have a very good year, gets, gets himself a Super Bowl, should be in the Hall of Fame at some point. Yeah, but this isn't your daddy's New England Patriots <laughs> anymore. These aren't even Bill Belichick's Patriots anymore because they're not winning like Bill Belichick used to do when they had Tom Brady. Right. I was thinking that same thing. These are not your daddy's Patriots. Um, they're a franchise in transition, obviously. This is Mac Jones's uh, make or break season. Uh, if he doesn't take that step up, they'll probably be looking for a replacement. And that is true. And you know he's had offensive coordinator issues, and I, I feel bad <clears> for <throat> quarterback who come into that kind of a circumstance. And you think that Bill Belichick knows this? You know he he knows that you need the consistency, especially with a young quarterback to see him grow. And if you're changing offensive coordinators or changing things around him, he's probably not going to grow as much. I'm wondering if he's going to get that kind of leeway from Bill Belichick going into this season, or is the division really going to put the pressure on Bill Belichick in addition to the New England Patriots, considering that the three teams that are in front of him, at least before the season, are the Buffalo Bills, are the New York Jets, are the Miami Dolphins. They're bringing up the rear, something they're not used to doing, especially going into a season. <laughs> it may happen during the season, but going into a season, you know, the expectations really aren't there. It may open the door to some surprises. Not likely, but that's a possibility. You know, it could be Jones has a very good season and they lose all six of those games to those teams that you just mentioned. You know, if they go three and three, that would be outstanding in my opinion. Yeah. But I don't see them going three and three. I see those teams as being um, much better, at least on paper, at least, you know, the last couple of years. And I don't see how or I don't see anything that the Patriots, Patriots have done to change that. Nope. It seems like everyone is changing around them, and they're changing for the better. I mean, even the Jets, who just made a living <clears> or <throat> generation after generation of not doing much in the offseason or doing the wrong thing <laughs> in the offseason, I think right now with the quarterback situation with Aaron Rodgers stepping in, that really helps. I mean, it goes without saying compared to what they had last season and in previous seasons. And then, of course, Buffalo still. Still looking at as the elite team there, but the Miami Dolphins, if Tua could stay healthy. I mean, everything seems to be going right for those three teams, at least going into the season. And things don't seem to be the same, especially with the turmoil they're having in New England when they still can't decide if this is the quarterback of their future or a quarterback in disarray. Right. I mean, those teams are are a level above the Patriots. You, you mentioned they'll be pulling up the rear. And I mentioned they may lose all six divisional games. Yeah, and DeAndre Hopkins, I mean, he was looking for money. $18 million was the contract he had per season coming from Arizona. This time around, he gets a two-year contract for $26 million, 
with enough incentives to get even as high as $32 million. So obviously it was dollars and cents that made the difference here. I mean, when you look at these two teams, I think, yeah, the dollars and cents made the sense, but you also went to the better team, which in my opinion right now, and I think yours as well, Tennessee is a better team as it stands right now before this season starts than what New England has to offer. And once again, we've talked about this ad nauseum when it comes down to the value of these players. Wide receivers are going out there as the season is getting closer, at least training camps, and getting their money. But the running backs continue to feel and be <clears throat> valued. Saquon Barkley can't get himself a new contract. Uh, Josh Jacobs can't seem to get himself a new contract. The deadline for the franchise tag to be signed was seven or four o'clock today p.m. Neither one of them signed to an extension. Now here we are. These guys are either going to have to make or break with the transition tag. Yeah, and you talk about Jacobs. We're talking about a guy who averaged almost five yards a carry. Yes. Uh, ran for 1,600-plus yards, um, had 53 receptions. You know, what else do you want from the man? Well, once again, I think it comes down to the devaluation of what these running backs can do, the new age running backs. But you're right. He's one of those big guys, and he's averaging almost five yards a carry, so he's not even wearing down. We're talking 17 games now. This big body, if he can hold up, is wearing those teams down for the 17 games, the same way Derrick Henry was doing for 16 games. And even last season, in 17 games, Derrick Henry doing a lot of Derrick Henry things. And then you're talking about Josh Jacobs, who wasn't known too much for catching out of the backfield, doing exactly catching out of the backfield. <laughs> what more do they want from him? I mean, but you know, at the same time, from a business standpoint, if you could really force a player to take that franchise tag and really save yourself the money, at least for one more season until you figure things out, go ahead and do it. If he does the same thing next year, he may get rewarded. Or they may look at that the same way maybe Tennessee is looking at Derrick Henry. Well, the wear and tear is there. He's done it for long enough. Now, next season might be the time where he doesn't have it, so we still might hold out. Yeah, it, it's tough for running backs. We, we've spoken about it a lot. Um, they, they seem to be almost interchangeable nowadays. Mm -hmm. oh, I, a lot of running backs just are not valued very highly, and they're not getting the contracts. Yeah, and Saquon Barkley in particular, you know, he, he's had that injury <clears throat> history. And coming to the Giants, he was a spectacular player coming out of Penn State. And even in that day and age, a running back going that early was still something pretty rare. You know what I mean? I, I think running backs going very early like they used to, like even Barry Sanders going as early as he had, or even Bo Jackson, even though he didn't play, you know, for Tampa Bay going that early. It, it's something that we probably won't see too often anymore. I mean, I, I, B. John Robinson was the best running back in this past draft, and he still wasn't close to going to the number one or number two pick. Right. He may right. or may not turn out to be an excellent running back, but nevertheless, they're not valued that much anymore. Bijan, as an unproven rookie, is slated to make more money this season than any other running back, including Christian McCaffrey, who's proven and tested. So that kind of lets you know what's going on there. And, and Saquon Broccoli, you know, he's upset. And I remember he's saying that he didn't want to break the bank. That wasn't his goal. But then when I looked at the numbers, and if these numbers are true, 13 of $16 million a year, bro, after they just paid Daniel Jones what they paid him, I don't think the money's there. You might have to run with that $10.1 million for that, fr for that franchise tag. Yeah, I heard there was talk that he might sit out. 
if we're talking money, sitting out's not the way to go because you start losing money that yep. way. And it doesn't seem like the, the Giants are going to come down very much, if at all. You know, they can put that franchise tag on him and then he's locked in. Well, the Giants have always been that organization that has been reasonable when they spent their money. I know from the outside looking in, you look at Daniel Jones and what he's done. You're wondering what the money he's gotten. Is that really reasonable, even for Giants standards? Many don't, don't think it is. I think there are some Giants fans who may think that he's worth the money. We'll find out. But for Saquon Barkley, a, a position that seems to be expendable now at running back, and if you did a running back by committee, that actually plays into what the NFL is becoming now with 17 games. I mean, he won't be sorely missed, as you may think, because he was hit and miss anyway since his rookie year. After his rookie year, he's been pretty much hit and miss. You'll get a good season. You may not. You'll get a good game. You may not. So a running back by committee may be able to pick up where he left off and you won't miss the beat, considering if Daniel Jones is able to really be that franchise quarterback he's being paid to be now. Right. Uh, you, you're probably looking at teams thinking, well, we have to pay multiple running backs now. We can't just rely on one. We can't give $13 million to one guy when we have to pay two or three, two or three total. You know, so why commit so much money to one guy when you still have to pay another one and probably a third? And I think out of all of the people who are out there that might have been looking for an extension or not settling with the tr the franchise tag, Tony Pollard of the Dallas mm -hmm. Cowboys is another one of those. But at least he's a young guy. You know, he's had a 1,000-yard uh, rushing this year. He's gone over five yards a carry at 5.2 yards a carry. But there isn't any Zeke to spell him this time around. He'll be asked to the, carry the entire load this whole season. Well, as long as he possibly can within reason. But at 209 pounds, 210 pounds, wow, 17 games is tough for Saquon Barkley, who's over 230 pounds. Imagine that this Tony Pollard trying to carry the load with Dallas, especially when you have a quarterback like Dak who's not necessarily going to get it downfield and kind of keep those intermediate and short passes, keeping guys in the box and eyes on you. Yeah, he's going to have to prove his durability this season. Um, you mentioned he's a little bit on the small side, 17 games. It's a long season. If he's getting the majority of the carries, I mean, a big bulk of the carries, will he be able to handle that load? That's a big question mark. Yeah, and another one of those players, Ezekiel Elliott, another homeless running back, another homeless NFL player, but it seems like the most homeless players in the NFL these days happens to be the running back. No one has called him. I'm sure someone will call him. But I don't think he'll be that premier running back. He won't be. I don't even know if there is a really a franchise running back. At least these veterans are no longer franchise running backs. They'll do it with new legs, like a B. John Robinson coming out of Texas, going to a team that's going to use him in his rookie year or a couple of years after that as perhaps a franchise running back and see what he turns out to be. But there aren't really franchise running backs, especially for an older, bigger, slower Ezekiel Elliott. Nowhere close to what he was coming out of Ohio State. Yeah, it definitely is not your daddy's NFL anymore. No way. It used to be running backs were premium, and now they're not valued almost at all. At least um, it's hard to be a superstar running back nowadays. Mm -hmm. You might have a good two, three-year run, and then you can't get a contract in the league. It's, it's, it's weird. It's weird what's going on with running backs.
And that's true. And with the you know, you, you can see how it evolved. We've talked about the franchise running backs. In fact, we had a show pretty much about that last week when we were talking about the star running backs being the best running backs in the NFL. That kind of lent itself to the premier running back. And then it kind of went to the thunder and lightning scenario where two guys were in the split backfield, the pro set, you know, the Roger Craig's and the Tom Rathman. You had two in the backfield, Marcus Allen and Bo Jackson, although they weren't in the backfield too often together, but you, you knew the duo. Now we're talking about just anyone that can fill the void. The one guy isn't going to be the guy. The two guys, you don't need them to be the guy. You just need them to be productive. And that's what's going on right now. We have two people who could be plugged in. The names don't necessarily matter. As long as they're bodies that are getting yards and moving forward, not stagnating in offense. And then because this is an offensive league, the receivers and tight ends are making things happen. Yeah, that's just the way the NFL is. I mean, here in Chicago, Bears drafted David Montgomery. And he was a very, very quality uh, running back. Could could uh, catch the ball at the backfield, break tackles, block for the quarterback, and now he's no longer with the team because they had they had other guys who showed they could run through the tackles also. Maybe not quite as well, but uh, sufficiently enough to say, "Hey, we don't need Montgomery." Yeah, it's like next man up and. The almost extinct running back, at least the way we once knew them, you know, this tandem deal when it's not even splitting the backfield, it's just you'll take the first two downs in this series, he'll take the first two downs, maybe even three if he could block a little bit in the next series. But once again, I think because of the design of these offenses now, you know, using wide receivers, now we've already saw that coming for decades now. It's finally come to a head, but now the tight ends with Gronk, when he had come onto the scene, other tight ends, making it more viable to add the tight end to the wide receivers. And if you could have both units clicking, it's over. Then a running back that can catch out of the backfield. Well, that leads to why Evan um, uh, um, Evan Ingram got his contract now for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He was with the New York Giants beforehand. Never really clicked, and I think it had a lot to do with Daniel Jones. But he comes to Jacksonville. He has Trevor Lawrence, who looks like he's definitely on the rise as one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL in just his second year, taking his team deep into the playoffs. Well, he gets his new contract with the Jaguars, three years for $41.25 million, which is rightfully deserved in this market. But again, pointing out the running backs aren't that important, but if a tight end can do a lot of what he's being asked to do now, along with the receivers, that goes more hand-in-hand with what teams are doing now than the traditional set up the run to get the pass. People are coming out passing, and if it's to that tight end for 11 yards, that's a better option than the five yards and a cloud of dust from a running back. Right. Ingram really stepped up last year with over 70 catches. Mm-hmm. Uh, he seemed to be like a security blanket for um, Trevor Lawrence, and you know they paid him. They believe he's got the talent, and they believe he's going to continue to contribute that way. But I think also what hurts running backs is they throw so many uh, short passes now, you know, a quick slant, a quick out, where it's almost like a running play. They yeah. get a quick three and a half, four yards, where that used to be automatic, first first, uh, first and ten off tackle, first and ten sweep or whatever, student by right. Now it's a quick out. It's a quick slant. It's a dump off, you know. And it's all about staying on schedule with the chains. 
You know, and I also think that right now, if you wanted to be an effective running back, you're going to have to do what Marshall Falk once did. And we talked about that last week. He ran real patterns. He ran real routes. He didn't just do the flair that you hear running backs doing, or he did a little bit more what Roger Craig did, but took it to another level when he was able to line up and do post or post corner or do these more finesse routes that take a lot more nuance than just flaring out. And when you get running backs like that, and I think it works well with, with the Jaguars, with um, Evan Ingram now signing with them as the tight end, being effective as he is, Travis Etienne for the Jaguars as well. His rookie season, or twice rookie season, he was injured in his rookie season, didn't play. This is his first full year of NFL football. I mean, if he could take care of that little fumbling issue, he's giving you a lot of a poor man's Marshall Falk. Might even work his way into being somewhat of a Marshall Falk in this kind of offense. Now with Calvin Ridley, a true number one option playing for the team this year, coming off a suspension because of the gambling, blah, blah, blah. Christian Kirk, who is now a number two, which is rightfully his position, in my opinion. He was just overpaid because he was Arizona's option before he came here. And now you have a lot going on with, with Trevor Lawrence growing as a quarterback a little bit ahead of a schedule. We're used to seeing the third year being the year the quarterback showing what he can do or can't do. He did it in his second year way ahead of schedule. Everything seems to be working out. You have a coach in Doug Peterson, been to the Super Bowl, knows how to nurture quarterbacks. A lot of things expected by this Jaguar team. Yeah, I'm excited to see a healthy Etienne. You know, coming out of college or in college, he was a big-time playmaker. And if he can still do some of that, he's going to add so much to that Jaguars offense. Yeah, you know, he did a lot of that last season. You know, I had the chance to watch him several times here because, well, being in the Jacksonville market, you watch all of the Jaguar games. And that's why I mentioned some of his fumbles, but the guy's explosive. He's dynamic. And, you know, and he's averaged what, over five yards a carry last season and catches effectively out of the backfield. He's a willing blocker. I'm still surprised about his weight. They keep telling, saying that he's 210 pounds. I see this guy. You go down to the stadium, see him walk out. You think he's 190. I mean, I, he's either that lean or someone's tipping the scale somewhere else. You know, you got one of these boxing skills going on. But either way, I mean, the team just really looks like they're in the mood to do some things, even though in the early going, the first four games, they will be without their left tackle and Cam Robinson, court for PEDs, blah, blah, blah. But I think they have so much available right now to where they can hold the fort especially in the AFC South, which isn't that strong, while he's going for those first four games and make a lot of noise happen. So, yeah, the Jaguars definitely in They're a team position. to watch. Yeah, yeah, a team yeah, to watch. They're a team to watch. They're on the rise. Oh, definitely on the rise, exactly. You know what? A, a team on the rise or a team that might just be there based on their division, which isn't so strong, you know, people will play catch up with them now. We're just trying to see if this isn't fool's goal. We're trying to see if this they become incumbents in the postseason and just have a strong showing throughout the regular season. I mean, in that division, yeah. that's well, all possible. I mean, in terms of the overall NFL, you, we're talking yeah. Chiefs and Bills and – Yep, you see the angle. top echelon. <laughs> yeah. You know, you get out of your division, you beat up on those little poor sisters, and then you go out there to the big boys and it's back to base. blown out. Different story. But last right. year, they, they put their head out of the sand and did some things and scared a few teams coming down – coming back in 27 down and winning game, bro. And they made them, even though it was a hurt Mahomes, they gave Kansas City something to worry about just for a little bit. But that's not good enough. They're looking to make good on it 
this season if the same thing can continue for them. And we go back to Dallas. Well, it's always Dallas, allegedly America's team. Which America, South America? I don't know. But Dak Prescott saying that he's not going to throw 10 interceptions this season. Well, after a, a career high 15 interceptions, who is he to make these predictions? I don't know why even say that. Why? I don't get the, the reasoning behind it. If you want to say we're going to dominate the division, you know, our team is going to do this, do that. But to talk about specific stats, yeah. I mean, say, I mean, if that's his goal, yeah, make that goal. But to say it's not going to happen, you don't know that. You can have three of the first game. You know, one can get tipped. Your receiver can drop one into the safety's hands. And there you go. You got two in the first quarter. I mean, it's ridiculous. But but, And and does he even put pressure on himself if that scenario does play play out the way that you're saying? You know, you get these interceptions in the early going. In the first four games, you have five picks. You know, you're thinking to yourself, wow, five more for the rest of the season. (laughs) Is that even pressure for a play like that? Or you just forget that you even said it and hope the team had success so that everyone can forget that you even said it because they'll just be happy with the success that you've had. Well, that's what I'm alluding to. If you're seven and no one, you have 11 interceptions, who cares? Will you have to work on it? Of course, but you're seven and no. You know, but what if he has zero interceptions and they're 0 and 7? Oh, great job, Dak. You didn't throw any interceptions. They haven't won a game. The haters will be out. It's just whether they're Dak haters, whether they're Dallas Cowboy haters, (laughs) the haters will be out to hold them accountable. I mean, I'm neither or, you know, either or. I'm just completely neutral to whatever he does on the field. I've always thought he was just a solid quarterback at best. There are others out there who want to call him elite. I just don't believe that. But we'll find out again this upcoming season. He's just another quarterback that happens to play for a high-profile team right now. I'll take Justin Fields. I'll take Justin Fields over Dak. Really? That's that's pretty interesting. I mean, that's your guy up there in Chicago. You get to see him more than we do. You know, we've only, uh, as far as I, you know, I've seen him in high school. I've watched him in in in, in uh, Ohio State. You know, the little bit he had done in Georgia, but it, keeping his your eye on him day to day or game to game in in Chicago. I mean, that is there a little bias there, or is there you legitimately think that? Well, I mean, obviously, I, I threw out him because he's the quarterback on my favorite team. Yeah. But I'm, <clears throat> if I heard there's a report. Dallas is trading Dak for Justin Fields. I would be pissed off. Oh, I don't want Dak as my quarterback. No, nah, not as a washed-up guy like that. Because I think that Justin Fields obviously still has that that window to where he has the projections that's going through the roof. He just needs to stay healthy. They need to surround him with the right people, have the running game, the offensive line, all of those things that worked out. So that a, a spectacular quarterback, because based on his athleticism and he's finally getting the the accuracy, trying to get it down at least. If those things work in the perfect storm, you're talking about some serious movement being made in Chicago and having a quarterback for the first time since when? Um, um, Jim McMahon? No, we're not even talking about him. Outrageousness. At least they got him a number one receiver now. Yeah. We don't have a number two playing a one, three playing a two. They have a real number one receiver. So if he he doesn't take that step up this year, then maybe next year I'm – Singing a different tune. Well, yeah, this is you. But, but I believe in him. He, he, you know, every young quarterback has good games and bad games. They make poor throws. They make poor decisions. But he has the arm talent. He threw yeah. some absolute oh. dimes last year. 
So I'm not worried about that. Man, my idea of a quarterback that has arm talent has never been whether he can throw the ball hard. If you're throwing the ball hard to the wrong team and they're going the other way, <laughs> it's still a hard throw pass. It's just going for a pick six a lot of times, a lot faster than it would have been fluttered. You know what I mean? But, hey, you know what? The accuracy does matter for something. And also going back to when we were talking about, you know, Dak saying this in the beginning of the season, he doesn't necessarily have to go there. But this is what teams do when everybody's 0-0 before the season starts. So everybody has this degree of, of happiness and optimism, which we know is kind of unfounded by some of these teams. Well, it's not beyond Tyreek Hill saying pretty much the same thing. I'm going to get 2,000 <laughs> yards this season, and the Dolphins are going to win the Super Bowl. Now, that second part of it, I don't believe, but 2,000 yards from him coming off a 1,700-plus-yard season and now 17 games just like last season, I mean, not completely crazy. They've been wide receivers who've gotten close to 16 games. Hey, Tyreek Hill is a bad dude, man. Yeah. If that's his goal, I'd like to see it happen because that means he's running a, for a lot of yards, scoring touchdowns, and that, that means excitement. I don't know if he'll get there, but I'd like to see him try it. Why not? Go for it. Yeah, I don't, I don't you know, it, it's always it's going to come down to Tua being injured because that's what it's been now since Tua's been in the NFL. When Tua's healthy, that team is a serious team to worry about. When he, As soon as he falls off, it kind of goes in disarray, as you would expect when your number, former number one draft pick doesn't, you know, he's not on the field to do that. But with Tyreek Hill out there, he, he always gives you a chance. He's always going to give you opportunity as a quarterback, even on the short slant because of his speed. He's going to make something happen. And, he, you know, he's done it throughout his entire NFL season or NFL career. What do you think? If, this, if his career ended today, and now that we know that players who get injured, whether it's catastrophic and they put in the time, you know, for a short period of time, does he get into the Hall of Fame? I know we we, we don't normally talk about this for wide receivers, but right now, if that happened to him, knowing that Tony Baselli had not gotten in with a short career, Terrell Davis and Gail Sayers, short career, still in the Hall of Fame. He has a Super Bowl ring, too. I, I, you know, I've never, I've never given it any thought, so I have to think about it. My first reaction is he probably gets in. Yes, I think so. Yeah, looking at the explosive plays because we get a chance to watch them the same way the so-called voters, when they're not hiding behind their typewriters or their computers these days, get a chance to watch them and say that this guy's is Hall of Fame worthy. We've watched them when it mattered and when it was on its biggest stage. He's made those huge plays. I mean, I'm not going to say he's the Randy Moss only because he's not six four, but speed-wise, this guy's everything we've ever seen in the NFL, and he does it all the time: double team, triple team. He's usually the difference when the wide receiving core is making his name with Tua. Or, or, I'm not going to say with Mahomes because Mahomes made everybody a star. You know, Travis Kelsey had the talent, so he became a star because of it. But everybody who's been on that a wide receiver on the team was a, a spectacular wide receiver or even better because of Mahomes. Tyreek Hill certainly would get into the Hall of Fame. And right now, I mean, we're talking Agreed. about so much football being talked, spoken about the NFL right around the corner. Training camps open up, I believe, some of them this week. And then, of course, next week, not too far from the Hall of Fame game between the New York Jets and the Cleveland Browns in Canton. I mean, it's that soon. But before we even get to that, we still have college football that's now starting to show up. And SEC Media Day, the alleged best conference and going by the numbers and championships, well, maybe not so alleged, they start their media day today. And I think uh, Brian Kelly of LSU, the former Notre Dame coach, 
had taken center stage talking about LSU, not necessarily being what Alabama is or Georgia, but they're on the rise. They'll get a chance to show it in Orlando, Florida, in their first game against the Florida State Seminoles, who are on a rise of their own with their coach, Norvell. So, yeah, there's some things going on. We're going to try to have Brent Beard, who's one of the top SEC voices, well, in the SEC when it comes to college football. We're going to try to have him on at some point this week as he's in Nashville right now covering SEC Media Day. And if we do get the opportunity, which I believe we will, you'll get to hear if you're an SEC fan or even college football and just want to know what's outside of your local market, he'll give you everything you need to know in detail going into this upcoming season. And what's SEC Media Day without news to go into the media day? Like Tennessee, the Tennessee Vols, they have to give up their wins from 2019, 2020, over 200 infractions, primarily with recruiting, and an $8 million fine. What's going on there? Jerry Pruitt got kicked out of there, but Josh Heifel has to pick up the slack. Yeah, that's rough, giving up all your, your victories for a season. Um, two Over 200 violations, that means either somebody didn't care about compliance or had no idea <laughs> about compliance. I mean, but somebody has to know something. It's not just, oh, we didn't know in this one situation. There's over 200 violations. <laughs> so they were consistently doing something they should not have been doing. And not caring oh, one bit while they were doing yeah. it. Now, and they dropped the hammer on them. Yeah, and we know how college football can be. But for decades, it's always been a, a cockeyed towards the SEC. And when the Southwestern Conference was around, we all know about what happened with SMU and what happens down there. But in the SEC, people look at it a little stronger. This thing happens a lot more. But how hard is it now or how difficult is it now to be able to decide what's an infraction, what isn't with NIL being what it is and what the transfer portal being what it is? Very hard to decide what's severe, what isn't severe anymore. Yeah. I don't know the severity of the violations. I, I didn't hear what the violations were, but again, it's the amount of violations. I believe yeah. they got Tennessee over 200. Um, you could say there's a lack of uh, what's that term? Institutional control. control. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, with over 200. There's no control at all. They're doing whatever. It's like the wild, wild west. Um, yeah. Well, when you see that and, there isn't a death penalty like which happened to SMU when their football program was banned for two years. That doesn't seem like it's ever going to happen again. In fact, I think I might have even heard the NCAA years ago saying that they may never, ever do something like that again. But, I, you know, I don't think because the SEC is such a powerful conference that something, especially a team like Tennessee, would even be up against something like that. They're going to do what they need to do, take the scholarships, which I believe is 28 scholarships over time is going, are going to be taken away from them. So, yeah, it's, it's going to weaken them. Josh Heupel is going to get the pinch, going to feel the pinch. But the way things are now with this transfer portal and the NIL, I mean, you can change your team overnight anyways. You know what I mean? If you already have solid players and you can just cherry pick from another team just for that one player, you're back on top. I mean, Notre Dame, they just went and got Sam Hartman from Wake Forest. Now they're back in the mix for something because they have a real quarterback that can make things happen for them. Yeah, the Transfer portal was a game changer. Absolutely. And well, we saw what, what Deion Sanders had done with it. 
Coach Prime out in Colorado pretty much got rid of his old team that went 1-11 and said, whoever wants to come here, come here. We'll vet you, and we'll see if you're good enough to come here. But he pretty much threw the garbage out, in his opinion. Threw the garbage out that didn't win last season. He's bringing in his new guys. Now, I don't believe I got dogs for my Jackson State team that's going to play here. Bro, stop there at Jackson State for a reason. Most times, no, not Travis Hunter. We're not going to look at that one player. But the majority of those players are Division 1A players or the highest levels. Uh, in a major conference like the Pac-12. But either way, you know, the, the transfer portal can change things immediately. And the way these fickle recruits are, that's what they are, fickle recruits are, they're going to go to your school today, but they're not going to go tomorrow because you can't <laughs> pay them the money they want. These are free agents, man. These aren't recruits anymore. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Um, it's crazy that you know, a high school senior will commit to a school and then by December of that season, he's in the transfer portal. Yeah. You know, he doesn't even complete his freshman year. Um, well, it, it's just it's just crazy. Well, look at what happened with uh, Texas A&M last season, Jimbo Fisher. I've mentioned it, how they had the greatest recruiting class of all time. They had me going back in my archives trying to find a better recruiting class that never came close. But just as quick as they came, as quick as they left, and Jimbo <laughs> Fisher is under fire again. If he has another crappy season like last season, we may be saying some things about Jimbo Fisher being a has-been, has been the coach of Texas A&M if he keeps it up. It's ridiculous how it happens. I mean, depending on which team you're on. Look, you have, you have teams like, like Debo Swinney, um, Dabo Swinney and, and Clemson, who doesn't necessarily worry about that kind of thing. And then, you know, he doesn't use a lot of transfer portal guys. Georgia doesn't either. Alabama doesn't use an extensive amount of transfer portal guys because they're busy getting five-star players all the time, four-star players. But it's these other teams, like a Notre Dame, who has that national brand, but then they bring in a player like a Sam Hartman when they thought all else was lost at quarterback. And now you have a viable quarterback who's doing it from himself to help his NFL position. And now Notre Dame benefits because they have that missing link that may put them back on the national scene in the top five. Yeah, it's possible. Um, if you have a roster and you have a hole somewhere, you look at the transfer portal, see what's out there, yeah. and start recruiting all over again. You go shopping. You fill that hole, yeah. It's like Walmart. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a team out there that has a lot of holes and a lot of problems right now. And you know about it. They're in your backyard. Northwestern, what a transition to be able to make a segue into that conversation with Northwestern. And what's going on over there? You're talking about an institution that's known for its academics and just happens to have a football and basketball team. Every now and then, the football team is good. Every now and then, the basketball team gives you a scare. But the students are scared on that team. They've been hazed. The players are scared on that team. What's going on now that eight former players of Northwestern have now consulted with a civil rights attorney, Ben Crump? We've known his name from other social circles. But wow, when he comes into the mix with civil rights and there's a problem at your institution and you're primarily a Caucasian institution, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We talked about it last week. Um, the allegations that I heard were uh, people of, or players of color with long hair were asked to cut their hair or made to cut their hair, but uh, Caucasian players weren't. If that's true, that's going to be a problem. Yep. Um, also, there was talk of nudity. If that's true, that's going to be a real problem. Oh. 
and a team like Northwestern can't afford to lose scholarships if that's where it's going to go. You know, we've seen these things kind of happening throughout college history, whether it's a football or basketball, or even in Duke's case, lacrosse, where things have come up. And at least it, it was dispelled with Duke's lacrosse team. The way things are getting worse and worse here, I don't think there's going to be any dispelling what's going on with Northwestern. Are things as bad as they've been said, or can they get possibly worse with a civil rights attorney now involved, especially in today's society? There's nothing looking good there. I don't think there's any way they come out looking like a rose. By the way, they got rid of their own alumnus as their head coach, you know, Fitzpatrick, and that's that's a big deal. If you think about it, the report, the reports that came out initially had a few details, not a lot, but the more people start digging, the more details are going to come out. And I don't see how it's going to get better. Yeah, I see it only getting worse. You know, yeah, once, wow. once, once the, a real investigation is launched, more details are going to be discovered. More people are going to come forward and speak and give their accounts of what happened. It's going to get real ugly. And incidentally, we've seen things like this happen ugh, throughout college football. I mean, over the years, I mean, we've, we've lived long enough to see some of these things. I mean, going back to even Penn State, going through the things they had gone through. This is I don't think as egregious, but I guess you could say it's as egregious if it gets worse than what we already know, because right now it's pretty doggone bad just with the allegations. The investigation is really going to bring those things to light. And we'll have a, I don't know necessarily a full story. Half the story might be good enough. So <laughs> we can run with that and it'll be just as bad. So if it does happen anytime, you know, you're going to get it over here since we're coming to sports all the time. And that gives us a chance to just leave football alone for a little while and go back to the gift that kept on giving us when we needed information, the NBA. And in this case, well, LeBron James going back to number 23, not necessarily big news. Who really cares? But it was something going on in the NBA and we at least had to pay that debt of gratitude to them for keeping us busy until we had the chance to become busy. Not really. My comment is no comment. <laughs> I mean, really, number 20, I, I don't think a number matters, to tell you the truth. I mean, it doesn't. you're not Michael Jordan anymore. What's the deal? I mean, you never wore MJ to begin with. I mean, but you know, whenever he does something, there's going to be some type of, uh, you know, somebody's going to say something or a group of is going to say something. But I thought we just mentioned it because it is something that happened that's outside of what we're speaking about right now. Still somewhere in the sports landscape. So, hey, you know, why not give old LBJ? He loves the attention, even if it's coming from just us. He doesn't mind. You know, he's one of those types. And another player I don't think really likes a whole lot of attention. He does like MVPs if he can get them. Joel Embiid from the Philadelphia 76ers, he's now gotten to a point to where he's saying publicly, hey, you know, <laughs> I'd like to win a championship here or somewhere else. That doesn't, that's not an exact endorsement for the city of Philadelphia. You know how those people take news, good and bad. You know it's bad when the guy who said trust the process is no longer believing or <laughs> trusting in the process. Um, I can't say I blame him. I don't know. But he's the one that wants Harden. Harden doesn't want to be there. But Harden's not going to help him win the championship. Nope. Um, or anyone else. It's, it's best for Philly. <laughs> get rid of Harden, see what they can get for him, and build around Embiid. I don't know who they can bring in, but uh, Harden's not the guy. He He's just proven that he's not the guy to lead you over. to the championship. Yeah. 
you know, over and over. And when he and has if he doesn't want to, and if he doesn't want to be there, well, you already know. Exactly. I mean, all of this money you're getting. I mean, we can't even even fathom what they have and what they're getting for money. You got all this money, generational wealth, blah blah blah, playing a basketball game, and you don't want to be somewhere. What is the reason why you don't want to be somewhere when you wanted to be somewhere else before? Didn't have the success in Brooklyn, so now you left and went to Philly. You're not having the success there. There's stories about you wanted to go back from where you came from before you even got to Brooklyn. I mean, who's going to really benefit from having James Harden on their team and still having real aspirations for becoming an NBA champ? I, I don't see anybody. You know, if he played like he did game one uh, where he was the old James Harden, yeah. It, if he was consistent like that, then he would still be a threat. But, you know, in those other games in that series, he disappeared. In game seven, I think he had nine points. Nine points in 40 minutes. Yeah, nine points in, in the game seven. he He's showing you you cannot count on him when you need him. Yeah, he's done it consistently, too. You know, he hasn't really shown up any time where there's been something on the line in which he could have been the difference. He's shown that he isn't the difference. He's a very good player. He will go to the Hall of Fame because his name and the numbers, the empty numbers he's put up. But, you know, he, he's just not that guy that's going to be the missing piece for you to go to a championship or win a championship. You know, it's all nice during the regular season. But when it matters most, he's not going to show up. And hopefully if he had other star players around him, which he did have, but they never really played together in Brooklyn. But he has Embiid, and nothing's happening with him then. But, hey, you know, we'll just have to see. But Embiid now, the guy who talked about the process, is no longer interested in the process. He's he's just frustrated. He wants to leave. You know, it's not even about MVPs anymore. I guess he got his, and he sees that other players are winning championships. He wants one, too. And, you know, yeah. maybe one day he'll get one. He, I mean, he has the talent to be on the team. If the team is, you know, going to help him get to a spot, he can close the show, I believe. But it's just not going to happen in Philadelphia, in my opinion. Yeah, when you look look at it, <clears throat> the situation, Doc got fired. Harden doesn't want to be there. Who's going to be his Robin? Nope. Maxi, maybe Maxi still has to develop some more. He's still young. You know, is he? When you look at the other teams, who got uh, two number ones on their team. Philly, Philly's always going to come up short. Yeah. So he, he's probably looking looking at it from that point of view, like, are they going to give me some help or do I have to go help someone else? Well, if he could hold down the fort for this year, next year at least he has the opportunity because he got his contract two years ago to get traded and have a free agency, be able to fit in with someone's salary cap and now pick the team that he wants. I don't think he's going anywhere, obviously, this season. But next <clears> season, <throat> after next season, he may be able to do that. And the, that the, only thing, the only thing with that is look at Philly's history. They didn't trade Simmons right away. They're not no. trading Harden right away. Where if it comes to that for Embiid, at what, point are they going, at what point are they going to trade him? Right before Christmas or <laughs> after Christmas? Um, I don't know. Philly, they seem to uh, hold their cards as long as they have to. And that doesn't bode well when you're trying to get out. They're trying to force them to change their mind. You know, maybe we just make things a little easier, which is very difficult in Philadelphia, knowing their fans and the way things are. It's going to be difficult for them to feel comfortable or feeling lovey-dovey with the Philadelphia faithful again. 
But we'll just have to wait for that to play out. But, hey, enough basketball news to take us to our next and final conversation, which is a, a little bit over a week left for Spence and Crawford, the fight of the year, maybe even the best fight or biggest fight in the past five years, going back to Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, I agree. Uh, this is probably the best fight that can be made in boxing. Yeah. Uh, I've been excited for it. It's not quite fight week, uh, but um, I've, I've watched both episodes of All Access. Yes, I have. And <laughs> um, that's quality stuff right there. It and, you know, it, it's getting me fired up. I can't wait. Can't July 29th can't get here soon enough. Yeah, and the great thing about these All Access episodes is that you like both fighters. A lot of times, you know, you get one guy who's the villain, you get one guy who's the hero, and, you know, people, you know, split down the middle. And this one, I think people have their allegiances. You can see the Bud Crawford fans that are backing him effectively. You have the Spence fans who are doing the same thing. But there's no disrespect going on between these two guys. They're acknowledging each other in terms of this guy's a great fighter. I'm going to beat him, but he's great. And the other one's saying pretty much the same thing. They're not dogging each other out, and they're still getting the buzz that they deserve for a fight of this quality. And we will certainly be talking about this fight. As it's getting closer, I think this is the type of fight we can talk about starting tomorrow and continue to talk about until fight night. Because <laughs> it's that big of a fight. There's never gonna be we're never gonna run out of things to talk about when it comes to this fight. So many nuances between these guys, so much, so much you need to talk about that doesn't have anything to do with just boxing skill, the battle of attrition, the toughness between these two guys. Who's gonna bend? Who's gonna break first if it comes down to that battle of attrition to where talent's no longer gonna be the issue? Biting down and being a man is going to decide who's going to be the number one powerful power fight in the world because this is for that. Yeah, we're going to find out who's the biggest dog on the block. Yeah. Or the, or the baddest dog. The biggest dog? Yo, bro. Even the, <laughs> the smaller guy, Bud Crawford, wins this fight. He's the biggest and baddest dog on the block. And, you know, I've always said that Bud was a dog, and he is that dog. He's like a demon out there. I remember you talking about a while back, but he was like, yo, how about a million dollars with Earl, Earl Spence was like 100 grand? And my man kind of had that little crickets going on after that million dollar proposal. But now they're here. I mean, now they're here, man. We're going to get the chance to find out who the true blue dog is. And, man, I can't wait. I mean, really, I just can't wait for it. Even just fight week. We're more than a week away, but fight week is going to be so freaking hot. Yeah, definitely. You know, fight week, the, the pre-fight uh, press conference, the weigh-in. Yeah, I, I'm be hyped for that. I might even take that Friday off. Now that I think about it. <laughs> hey, you know what? Hey, it, 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 yo, we're boxing heads. True boxing <laughs> heads. We're not just people who just watch boxing and just point the guy and say, "Yeah, he's good." Man, it, it goes deeper than that. A lot deeper than that. And I'm glad that we do have a fight like this to look forward to, and even some other fights that after this will, you know, we will look forward to. Not like this because this has been brewing. We finally got what we wanted to, but we have Fulton and Inoue fighting the very next day in Japan. So, but either way, I mean, this is the fight that we're all yeah. waiting for. No <clears throat> questions about it. And we're going to be bringing you that information as we continue to have our show. And as we conclude this show, the 27th episode of the Sports Bag Bros podcast, he's biased on Trav, and we'll catch you tomorrow on the next show. See you then. <laughs>